Now on Bloomberg Radio. Are we likely to see any more math on this budget deal? It's getting tougher and tougher to beat the rising desires of Wall Street. Global business, finance, and tech news as it happens. We all talk about Twitter. We have a president who uses it rather effectively. Lyft, Uber, and the like. What are the lessons to be learned from these companies? Carol Messer. Corey Johnson. More people listen to radio in America than watching TV. Is that because you can kind of multitask? You can listen to radio and do other stuff? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, no one listens to radio with the sound off. This is Bloomberg. Bloomberg Markets on Bloomberg Radio. And you better have the sound on over the next couple of hours. We've got uh, some treats in store. Welcome, everybody. Good morning, good afternoon. Thursday, October 5th, 2017. This is Bloomberg Markets. Carol Master along with Corey Johnson in our Bloomberg 1130 studio in New York City. Coming up, we're going to home in on the future of work, Corey, what it means for higher education and the next generation of graduates. I think this is a really crucial uh, topic right now. Things are changing rapidly and yeah. how we work. And for all of us, because it. it's not just about the people we work with who are just coming out of school and the young people, no. but it's also about how we view our own work and our, understand our own education and the changing nature of work. So it's great stuff. But it's the latest right now. Let's get the latest. I said, a data check and business news headlines from Charlie Peller. And I thank you very much, Corey Johnson. Thank you, Carol Master. Lots going on today. Let's begin with U.S. equities. We are at records again. S&P 500 index propelling its rally to the longest since July of 2013. Jobless claims and factory orders beating expectations. European markets getting a boost after Catalans were said to stall their push for independence. Spain's Ibex index up by 2.5%. Wall Street is looking ahead to tomorrow morning's jobs report with a lot of questions about the influence of the hurricanes. Jim Paulson is chief investment officer at Luthold Whedon Capital. Well, I just think there's so much uncertainty around uh, created by the hurricanes. You don't know the timing of whether how quick they hit unemployment claims, how much uh, not only did they hit unemployment claims, but how much did it stop hiring in the region or just a, a activity overall? It's just a really difficult thing to handicap. And, of course, we will have that number for you, 8.30 a.m. Wall Street time, the consensus there for 80,000 jobs created during the month. S&P up 13 now at 25.50, up 5 tenths of 1%. The Dow up 98, up 4 tenths of 1%. NASDAQ up 42, a gain of 6 tenths of 1%. The 10-year down 6.30 seconds, yield 2.34%. Gold is down 3 tenths of 1% to 1270. West Texas Intermediate Crude up 1.3% to 50.64 a barrel. Brent is at 56.79, a gain there of 1.8%. I'm Charlie Pellet, and that's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Thank you very much, Charlie Pellet. You are listening to Bloomberg Markets on Bloomberg Radio. So we spend so much time talking about this, and with good reason, what the future of work will look like, what will be the expectations of employers and employees alike, the impact of so many different things from artificial intelligence to automation, and also key, the convergence of generations. I don't think we talk enough about that. That is our focus for the next 60 minutes. With us, Bentley University President Gloria Larson in our Bloomberg 1330 studio in Boston. She is our co-host for the hour. Gloria, um, Corey and I, first of all, Grace to have you here. I have to say, Corey and I often talk about the uberization of the world and how everything is being, you know, just disrupted. Systems that we've had in place for decades, uh, they're being turned upside down by upstart companies and a new wave of technology. It's impacting the world. It's also impacting the way we work. So 
What's interesting to me about the future of work as a topic, it's one that's been teed up over the past decade, um, and people are still saying, gee, you know, what's it going to look like? What kind of employees will be needed? And the fact is, the future is now. I mean, it's already happened. I was in your neck of the woods uh, in San Francisco, Corey, last week, meeting with a um, Thanks for calling. Pro- Don't take it personally. With venture partners who are doing investing in fintech companies. So think about banking as, you know, stayed old banking. And fintech, we know, is rapidly disrupting not just all the back office functions, but how you relate to your customers, how you authenticate um, various transactions that are being handled. This stuff is happening now. And so it has such widespread impacts, certainly for those who are coming into the workforce now, I would say for every generation that's still in the workforce. Well, and, and to that, uh, you know, it's it's an interesting time. I, I think like the sort of the broader um, idea of what's going on with technology is that technology, you know, 10, 15 years ago was technology for technologists. The dominant brands were, were WorldCom, which is buying uh, servers and routers from Cisco. And Cisco was competing with 3Com. And these were the, the, the technology names of that era, you know, and Oracle and Intel and others and Dell even were about businesses selling principally to other technology businesses. And the th- companies we're, t- what we're talking about now is technology, uh, how it's come into, uh, and the latest and greatest in technology, mobile, social cloud coming into um, existing industries and transforming them, whether it's transportation or, as you point out, finance. So two years ago, Bentley University did a study with Burning Glass as our partners to take a look at what over the course of the next year or so would be um, the categories of jobs for millennials to be headed into and now the Z generation. And what we found is there's no job now that doesn't require hybrid knowledge and skill sets. You can't just be into data analytics. You've got to be able to know how to communicate um, the data that you're using to solve problems. You've got to be able to transcend and translate different disciplines, and you've got to have digital capabilities. I mean, you no one can go into the workforce today without technology expertise. And the problem with that is that you constantly have to be adapting to new technologies because it will be changing almost as fast as you're learning it. So the compilation of hybrid knowledge and skills and application that students in college need today is moving almost at the same rate of speed as what's happening in the work world they're going into. And the concern that I've expressed often on this show is that I don't think as a whole uh, the higher education sector is moving at the accelerated pace they need to to really genuinely prepare the next generation of employees. And especially when you shared with us some data, I think from McKinsey, um, that talks about, or maybe it was from somewhere else, but it just, people are going to be changing jobs too more rapidly. We're not going to have those people. I mean, my dad stayed at a company for, I don't know, 40, 50 years. Uh, you don't see that. We're going to see people changing around, Gloria. Millennials are changing jobs every two years or less, sometimes by their choice, um, because they see someplace else they want to light. Right. Uh, on, but, but also not always at their choice. Uh, we're seeing more and more contingent workers in the gig economy. We're seeing um, millennials who are developing different skill sets and will move across into you know a brand new sector. Um, when I left school, I expected to join a law firm and stay there. Now, I happen to have had a peripatetic career in which I've made a lot of changes <laughs> over time. But even if you add up all of my changes, um, they don't come close to this prediction of changing every couple of years. And think about that when you think about the boomer generation. 
generation. Right. Um, think about that. Even for the X-Gens, um, all of this is causing folks to have to think about how do you keep upgrading your skill sets once you're already out into the work world. Well, let, you can't just sit back. Right. And let's put that to our question. Let's see what IBM is doing to kind of keep up with these changes. David Lisa is Senior Program Executive, Innovation and Growth Initiatives at IBM. With us on the phone from California, David, you're listening to Gloria talk about, you know, the changing dynamics of our workforce. You know, what's the approach today to kind of make sure IBM executives, you know, stay up to date, IBM workers stay up to date uh, with what, how, you know, with how work is changing? You know, you know, we found these same same data uh, as well. And uh, we found truly, just like you just said, the pace of change now is outstripping the pace of learning. And so we're taking a leadership role helping people break into tech, progress their skills, upskill, reskill, like you just said, everybody's changing jobs every two to four years. We created a program called the Digital Badge Program at IBM. And the Digital Badge Program allows a person to learn quickly about the latest technologies, earn a digital credential that they can easily share and create a digital resume, and every one of those badges is actually linked to job postings hmm. so they can get a job or they can, within their own company or someplace else. Interesting. We're going to talk a little bit more about what you guys are doing over at IBM uh, and continue our conversation, the really changing look of work and the workforce and what it means for really all the parties involved, whether it's uh, employees, future employees, employers, and certainly for higher education. You're listening to Bloomberg Markets. Gloria Larson, President of Bentley University, our co-host for the next hour, Bentley, a strategic partner of uh, Bloomberg Radio. Also, David Leeser will continue with him as well, Senior Program Program Executive, Innovation and Growth Initiatives at IBM. You are listening to Bloomberg Markets on this Thursday. Carol Master, Corey Johnson, and this is Bloomberg Radio. Let's get some world and national news headlines with Nathan Hager in our 99.1 studios in Washington, D.C. All right. Thanks, Corey. President Trump is applauding the House of Representatives for passing a budget. The White House issued a statement saying the $4.1 trillion dollar measure creates a pathway to fix, quote, our rigged and burdensome tax system, end quote. House Budget Chairman Diane Black says Republicans still have a ways to go on what that fix will look like on state and local tax deductions, for example. Whether that's that there is a limit of income or a limit to the amount that can be deductible, I'm not really sure, but it is uh, difficult when you have a number of members, even in the Republican conference, who come from those states and are going to be very concerned about that. So those are all negotiations that have to take place in a conference committee. Black was on Bloomberg Television. The mayor of Barcelona is calling for Europe to consider forming an expert tax force to mediate between Spain and Catalonia. Mayor Ada Colau met with European diplomats today. The EU has called for dialogue but has supported Spain's government in blaming the independence crisis on Catalan separatists. A top-ranking Democrat is now calling for House Minority Leader Nancy Pelosi to step aside. I do think it's time to pass the torch to a new generation of leaders. California's Linda Sanchez is vice chairwoman of the House Democratic Caucus. She's calling not only on Pelosi to move aside, but for minority whip Steny Hoyer and assistant minority leader James Clyburn to step down as well. She said so in an interview on C-SPAN that will air this Sunday. Till now, only rank-and-file Democrats have expressed this type of frustration with their leadership. Global News, 24 hours a day, powered by more than 2,700 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries. This is Bloomberg. 
Global business news 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. From Bloomberg World Headquarters, I'm Charlie Peloton. Another update on Wall Street stocks on their best run in four years. Right now, the S&P up 12 to 25.50, up by five-tenths of 1%. NASDAQ up 39, up six-tenths of 1%. The Dow up 95, higher by four-tenths of 1%. So U.S. stocks advancing again for an eighth day. The 10-year down 7.30 seconds. The yield 2.35%. Gold is down $5 the ounce to 12.69, a drop there of four-tenths of 1%. West Texas Intermediate Crude holding above $50, 50.73 on WTI. That is a gain of 1.5%. Brent is at 56.94, higher by 2%. I'm Charlie Pellet, and that's a Bloomberg Business Flash. All right, much appreciated. Charlie Pellet, you're listening to Bloomberg Markets. I'm Carol Master with Corey Johnson, our co-host for this hour, Gloria Larson, president of Bentley University. And this hour, we've been taking a look at the future of work and what it really means for higher education, the next generation of graduates. As I mentioned, Gloria is with us in our Bloomberg 1330 studio in Boston and also still with us on the phone from California, David Leeser, Senior Program Executive, Innovation and Growth Initiatives at IBM. David, it's Gloria. Massachusetts just became the first state to have over 50% of our working population with college degrees, and yet there's not a week that goes by that I don't see employers begging for qualified applicants for all the jobs they can't fill, particularly in these hybrid areas that require technology skills. What would you tell college students today they should be doing, and are you seeing graduates who actually have this hybrid skill set? You know, that's a really good question. And according to the Department of Labor, there are more than 500,000 jobs that can't get filled because of lack of tech skills. So in our area, I think, you know, one of the things I would recommend to college graduates is get a minor from, you know, an institution or an organization like IBM in these late-changing, quick-changing technology skills. Um, You know, beef up your degree with the latest skills. And we've actually seen college graduates, just like you said, Gloria, that couldn't find jobs, They've taken um, courses online for free at IBM. They've earned IBM digital credentials and then gone out there and gotten jobs. So talk to me about how those jobs are different. I mean, you said you know, the knowledge is, is, is growing faster than we can ed- grow education, but how, what are these jobs, and, and, and can, can, we, can we lump them into some idea of what they are all about? You know, you mentioned a couple of the different areas that are really a high focus for us. And, you know, obviously in cybersecurity is a big field for us. Um, analytics is a big field. I think that, but one of the things you mentioned, Gloria, also, I think every job now is being infused with technology. So a retail analyst needs to know analytics. A marketing professional needs to know social media sentiment analysis, right? So uh, I think every job now has some sort of level of technical skill that, wasn't required a few years ago. So what is it that the colleges and universities that work with, you know, IBM and others have to make sure that their student body, when they graduate, that they have specific skills? What is it that you look for? What is it that really makes them stand out? The, the latest skills in the latest technologies. So we, 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 you know, obviously we want the base skills that you get from an institution or a college, but that we want to know that somebody's current in their skills. And I think that's where uh, a company like IBM fits in because we have to stay up on the latest technology. We have to create the training and skills for that, and we want our customers to have that skill as well. So I think that uh, showing that you have continuing education in these technologies is a big signal. 
David, you just, um, from my perspective, hit the nail on the head. Uh, how can we get more companies to partner, bring that information from the marketplace into schools? I know IBM's doing this, but honestly, I don't see enough companies to date partnering directly with community colleges and universities and colleges of all types in terms of next-gen um, needs for the workforce. I mean, it seems to me that this is exactly what's called for, and I'm not seeing enough of it. Yeah, you know, and I think that we've had a problem in the past where we haven't been able to qualify the skills that somebody gets on the job. And now with digital badges, which is one of the programs we are, we're working with at IBM, we now have kind of a digital transcript for industry knowledge that now can be used with colleges. And one of the programs we're doing at IBM with some colleges... Wait, sorry, a digital transcript? What do you mean? Yeah, so basically, basically when you earn an IBM badge you get a digital record, a digital resume that can be validated and verified by IBM. So it's not like a piece of paper that somebody was issued. You actually have an online digital record that ties all the way back to IBM to validate. And I think that when you, you know, that we now have, a, we have an opportunity now to take what is learned in the industry and combine it with, with what's learned in colleges in a way that right. we couldn't before. And are you seeing other companies start to replicate this? Because I'm incredibly impressed by what IBM's doing. But, again, I don't think this is ubiquitous yet in the marketplace. No, I, I think you're absolutely right. I, you know, IBM is absolutely taking a leadership role, helping people break into tech and progress their skills. And But, but I'm seeing encouragement because I'm seeing a lot of people follow that lead. And, you know, Gloria, your leadership here, of course, is the type of leadership that we need to advance this uh, Movement. It's fascinating, though, this whole idea of badges. I mean, how do you think this may be ultimately, um, you know, David, finding its way through universities and college campuses? When you think about it, you know, a college creates this macro transcript, and it really doesn't tell you what somebody really knows about technology, if they know problem solving, if they know a lot of these different things. Badges allows you to show at the nano level the skills that some, somebody has. And now we can use that and create a skills registry, and we can start to match people to the jobs they're born to do based on those skills. What's the number one skills, uh, briefly, that, that you think uh, that uh, these students have that uh, their older counterparts don't? I think that they need cognitive skills. I think they need to know about cognitive computing, and they need to know about security and analytics. I think analytics and, and cognitive would be some of the bigger areas. And, in fact, we have a full website that anybody listening, cognitive class, you just go to cognitive class, and you can take free courses at IBM that were developed by data scientists and earn a digital badge. Yeah, it's interesting to see how it's evolving, right? And that's how you say kind of front and center. Uh, David, thank you so much for your time. David Leeser, Senior Program Executive, Innovation and Growth Initiatives at IBM, joining us on the phone from California. And, of course, still with us, Gloria Larson, President of Bentley University, Bentley, a strategic partner at Bloomberg Radio. We're going to continue this discussion, taking a look at what uh, the future of work, what it is, what it will mean for higher education and the next generation of graduates. Uh, a little bit later on, too, we're going to talk about different generations. The older one, like you, Corey. Really? Working with the younger generation like me and Gloria. I'm just saying. That's what's coming up. All right, coming up on the other side of the break, we're going to take a check on world and national news headlines. Also a look at your top business stories on this Thursday and an update on the trading session. You're listening to Bloomberg Radio.
Broadcasting live to New York, Bloomberg 1130. To Washington, D.C., Bloomberg 991. To Boston, Bloomberg 1061. To San Francisco, Bloomberg 960. To the country, Sirius XM Channel 119. And around the globe, the Bloomberg Radio Plus app and BloombergRadio.com. This is Bloomberg Markets. You are listening to Bloomberg Markets on this Thursday. I'm Carol Master along with Corey Johnson. Coming up in just a moment, we continue our look at the future of work, what higher education has to do to adapt and prepare students for the workforce. We'll get more on that in just a moment. First up, though, back to your top business stories, and let's get an update on today's trading day. Here is, once again, Charlie Pellet. And I thank you very much, Carol Nasser. First, let's begin with the numbers at the close of floor trading on the NYMEX, brought to you by USCF. Invest in what's real. Visit USCFinvestments.com. That's USCFinvestments.com. West Texas Intermediate, back above $50, 50.75 a barrel, up 1.5%, higher by 77 cents. The spread with Brent now at 56 97 Brent higher today by 2.1%. U.S. equities higher for an eighth day. The dollar strengthened. Treasury slipped as the latest batch of economic data added to optimism in the U.S. economy ahead of tomorrow's jobs report. European markets got a boost after Catalans were said to stall their push for independence. Spain's IBEX up by 2.5%. And a lot of questions about the bigger implications for Europe in the showdown between Spain and Catalonia. Jan Lois is chief investment strategist at J.P. Morgan Chase Bank. Ultimately, there's a lot of stake for both when it comes to money and jobs. There's decent compromise available. The Catalonia wants some development. They have a different language. They want to have some say uh, within their own region. There's easy compromise there. There's a lot of emotions at this moment. Uh, I think ultimately the two sides will talk together. Um, some development will happen for Catalonia. There will be the compromise. This is not a global, this is not a euro issue at all. Gold down five dollars the ounce to twelve sixty nine, down four tenths of one percent. The ten year down seven thirty seconds. The yield there two point three five percent. Equities higher across the board. We have got a record for the Dow, the S P and Nasdaq. S P up twelve, up five tenths of one percent. The Dow up ninety three, up four tenths of one percent. Nasdaq up thirty nine, up six tenths of one percent. I'm Charlie Pellet. That's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Thank you very much, Charlie Pellet. You are listening to Bloomberg Markets and Bloomberg Radio. Our look at the future of work and what higher education can and should be doing to adapt and prepare students for the workforce of the future. Joining our conversation, Tony Bono. He's a management professor at Bentley University. Also with us, our co-host, Gloria Larson, president at Bentley University. Bentley, a strategic partner of Bloomberg Radio. Tony and Gloria joining us from our 1061 FM studio in Boston. Gloria, you know, you have been studying and writing. You've got a new book out that really takes a look at kind of preparing students um, for the future. And you really talk to all the different parties, whether it's companies, recruiters, uh, universities, parents, kids themselves. Um, at Bentley, how have you guys been thinking about the future of work? Well, we've been thinking about the future of work, I would say, going back now at least uh, a decade in terms of trying to see what's on the horizon. And I think that's what led us to this hybrid philosophy that we've had where to it's really this unique combination of business disciplines with the arts and sciences. It's left and right brain. Um, it's making sure that uh, that technology is wrapped throughout and that our kids have facility with the latest technology. 
strategies. But the other important piece of a hybrid education is that you're taking what you're learning in the classroom, hopefully in a transdisciplinary way across business and the arts and sciences or engineering the arts and sciences, and then you're applying it in real-world context, whether it's companies coming on campus or internships or myriad other ways. Um, and, you know, I think Tony is has been one of the chief architects of how do we blend this type of education at Bentley in a forward-looking way. Tony, come on in on that. Tony Bono, management professor at Bentley University. I mean, how, you know, address what Gloria just brought up. Well, one of the things I think we're attempting to do, and here's how I capture it, is the difference between I people and T people. So in the past, if you look at the nature of careers, the nature of jobs, people would be very very successful if they were I people. In other words, they had deep expertise in a particular area. So they became very expert in finance, in marketing, in accounting, in operations, whatever it was. And that was sufficient to really lend themselves to have a very successful career. I would say today that is still a necessary component, but we're really looking now for T people. I mean, Gloria had mentioned the challenge of hybrid jobs. So people need to know their particular functional expertise, but then how does that relate to other functional areas in the organization? How does it go and how does that relate to various trends? So we're talking about sustainability. We're talking about social responsibility. We're talking about the role of the corporation in a global economy. Um, it's not just enough to understand, you know, just, just financial, uh, you know, rubrics or, or the role of accounting. How does that fit in with the rest of what the organization is attempting to do, where society is going? And that is a challenge. Tony, I also think about the way that people, um, that young people, uh, approach management itself and approach, uh, commands from their bosses and, and where, where personal desire and creativity comes in and where do what you're told, do your job and shut up uh, uh, takes place. I mean, you know, we haven't had conscription in the U.S. <laughs> since really since 1975. So, we're, you know, we're good 40 years plus uh, in, into a time where we haven't had people working in the military uh, uh, by just by nature or, or as, as, a, as a big part of our, our employment or as part of the experience of growing up. And I just wonder if the, if the notion of how to manage people and how people are willing to be managed uh, is changing a lot in how you teach that. Well, yeah, you're absolutely right, and and to a large part, that's also really driven by the nature of of, of jobs, the nature of tasks we're as, asking people to do. So the old command control approach. So in other words, I'm going to tell you what to do, how to do it. I may tell you why you're doing it, when to do it, but I expect you to kind of follow those edicts. That tends to work when when the tasks themselves are largely programmable. Um, we can really kind of dictate exactly what needs to be done. The reality, though, and given the changing nature of technology, are those jobs, they're going to be, they're going to be automated. They're going to be robotized and they're going away. And the tasks that we're faced with today, these non-routine tasks, what I refer to as interaction jobs, jobs that really have to work in concert with technology, you know, that kind of command, uh, uh, control, command compliance approach simply falls apart. So that, so that, so that management style only works in jobs that are going to go away. Uh, pretty much. And and so what we see now is the need for what I would call a more commitment mutual adjustment model. How do we actually bring out the expertise that our workers have? Uh, how do we support them? How do we, you know, guide them so they can begin mutually adjusting with their colleagues moving forward? Because there is so much uncertainty. Things are changing at such a rapid pace. We right. really need to think about how we get our, our, our people to work together in that fashion. Tony, and, that, and that demands a very different management style. Just got about 25 seconds. I'm thinking about our listeners, our audience. Maybe they've got kids or maybe they're looking to employ people. What should people, you know, be thinking about when they're looking at universities and colleges so that they make sure that their students come out 
their kids come out, graduate, and they can get a job. Just kind of quickly. Okay, very quickly. One of the things I think is really important is this notion of fusion. And one of the things that's always attracted me to Bentley is that through all four years, our students integrate both business courses and arts and science courses. So we don't, you know, like a lot of, lot, lot of institutions, you take, you know, your arts mm-hmm. and science courses the first two years, then move into your professional courses. Right. I think it's much healthier right. that, to integrate those throughout the process. Tony Buono of Bentley University, Gloria Larson, she's coming back in just a moment. You are listening to Bloomberg Radio. Nathan Hager right now is going to look at World of National News headlines. He's in our 99.1 studios in Washington, D.C. Yeah, this headline just crossed red on the Bloomberg terminal, Corey. The National Rifle Association says the government should review gun bump stocks. The gun rights group is wading into the fast-building debate over the accessory that Las Vegas gunman Stephen Paddock used to make his semi-automatic firearms shoot faster. The NRA says that banning guns won't prevent future attacks, but bump stocks should be subject to regulations. The White House reaction? Members of both parties uh, in multiple organizations are planning to take a look at bump stocks and related devices. We certainly welcome that. would like to be part of that conversation. White House spokeswoman Sarah Sanders says there is a need to discuss what caused the Las Vegas shooting before dealing with solutions. Meantime, the investigation continues. Greg Castles, the fire chief in Clark County, Nevada. Our response time to that incident, I can honestly say, for our first arriving unit was less than five seconds. And the reason I say that is Fire Engine 11 was coming back from a traffic accident call. And the captain's like, that's gunfire. They were right there at the fence to the event. Investigators say Paddock booked a room at a Chicago hotel overlooking the Lollapalooza Music Festival months before opening fire on the country festival from Mandalay Bay's high-rise. A spokeswoman for the Chicago Hotel says no one by Paddock's name ever checked in. Dozens of people with ties to President Trump's campaign transition and administration have set up shop as lobbyists cashing in on their positions. Federal disclosure filings compiled by Public Citizen show at least 44 registered lobbyists with ties to the president and Vice President Pence. I'm Nathan Hager. This is Bloomberg. Global business news 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. From Bloomberg World Headquarters, I'm Charlie Pellet. U.S. stocks are at records. This update brought to you by Commonwealth Financial Network, home to the industry's most satisfied advisors. Prepare to be swept off your feet by the broker-dealer RIA that's been putting relationships first since 1979. Visit Commonwealth.com. Stocks are rising for an eighth day. The dollar is strengthening. Treasury slipped as the latest batch of economic data adds to optimism in the U.S. economy ahead of tomorrow morning's jobs report. Complete coverage heading into the number. And, of course, the kind of analysis you've come to expect from Bloomberg Radio as that number breaks, 8.30 a.m. Wall Street time. European markets also getting a boost after Catalans were said to stall their push for independence. S&P up 13, up five-tenths of one percent. The Dow up 99, up four-tenths of 1%. NASDAQ up 43, up 7 tenths of 1%. The 10-year down 7.30 seconds at yield 2.35%. Gold down 4 tenths of 1%. Crude oil, West Texas Intermediate up 1.4%. I'm Charlie Pellet, and that's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Thank you very much, Charlie Pellet. You are at the time right now is at 2.48 on Wall Street, 11.48 on the West Coast. The following is from Bloomberg View. Opinions and commentary from Bloomberg columnists. I'm Jonathan Bernstein, a columnist for Bloomberg View. On Tuesday, President Trump floated a solution for Puerto Rico's debt. 
but it only took hours for White House Budget Chief Mick Mulvaney to knock down the whole idea. This is not normal. Presidents simply don't make policy pronouncements only to have them overridden within their own administration, especially not from within the executive office of the presidency, where presidential influence is normally the strongest. Granted, with Trump, it's hard to tell whether this was a real presidential decision or just something he was saying. That's the problem. When the president blurts out whatever's on his mind, then everyone learns pretty quickly not to care what he says. That's why normal presidents are extremely careful about what comes out of the presidential mouth, or pen, or Twitter account. It's not because they aren't willing to tell it like it is. It's because skilled politicians treat everything they do as part of an attempt to fight for influence within the political system. If not, they become as weak as Trump. I'm Jonathan Bernstein. For more of you, please go to BloombergView.com or view Go on the Bloomberg Terminal. This has been Bloomberg View. And Bloomberg View commentaries can be heard every day at 5.48, 8.48, and 11.48 a.m. Wall Street time. Looking at work, what will be the expectations of employers and employees alike? What it means for higher education? What impact will the convergence of generations have on work? And that's something we want to talk a little bit more about right now. That is our focus. With us, Bentley University President Gloria Larson, our co-host for the hour in our Bloomberg 1061 FM studio in Boston. And joining our conversation, David Stillman. He's a generations expert, co-author of Gen Z at Work, How the Next Generation is Transforming the workplace, and he joins us on the phone from Silicon Valley. David, why is it so important to examine generations, especially when it comes to understanding the workforce? Um, thank you for having me. You know, generational differences is no different than other forms of diversity, whether that be race, gender, ethnicity. And everyone would admit that studying diversity has helped us recruit, retain, motivate our workforce. The nice thing about generations is that Great. there doesn't seem to be too much political correctness around it. A lot of people are willing to put their biases and stereotypes on the table, which allows us really to get the roots out of our differences. So I find of all the diversity topics, the generation seems to be one of the more easier ones to approach. It's Gloria. It's nice to meet you, David. So what what should we be doing at the college level to prepare this next generation, the Gen Zs? My experience now that they're into their junior year in college and we're graduating their older siblings, the millennials, into the workforce, these Gen Zs really are different. They have this practical focus and they've, you know, as you've written about, have experienced some pretty tough things in their lives and are very concerned about economic conditions but have their eye on their careers um, literally from the time they've landed on campus. What should we be doing to make sure we're really giving them what they need? Um, you're absolutely right. So, you know, the theory behind generational differences is that every generation has its own unique lens that they look at the world or their own generational personality because of the events and conditions that shape them. And for Gen Z, your student body, Gloria, you know, this is a generation that was shaped greatly by the recent recession. So, you know, this is a generation that when they go to higher ed, they say, if I'm going to be spending this money, I better be working towards a finite goal. Where compared to my generation, we went to college to figure that out. 
So we went to university. I mean, I remember my first degree was forensics. I had a brief stint in medicine, and four years later I had a degree in journalism. It was just sort of what you did then, but this is generation that really comes in focused. And so a lot, I'm sure you're experiencing higher ed, they come in and they say, well, I know what I want. Help me get there. So a lot of Gen Zers tell this. In fact, 79% of Gen Z says, I'm looking for an education that's integrated with some real-world experience. They really want to understand how what they're learning is going to apply to the real world. Well, that makes me really happy about our hybrid approach at, at Bentley. But I'm also thinking about the employers, too. And the millennials are now at the point where the older uh, members of the millennial generation are now the managers who will be yep. accepting this workforce. And in my experience, adjacent generations often have the biggest rub. A hundred percent. You are spot on. And I do have to give a nod to Bentley for your hybrid program. Very impressive. Um, but I'd want to say, you know, we do find that if the generation right up next to you, you tend to bump up against. You tend to spend the least amount of time with them. Um, and so what we found is that millennials, for example, a very collaborative generation. Here's a generation that was just taught, you know, if two heads are better than one, 12 is better than two. They think in groups. They operate in groups. So we know, like, in school, they love group projects. So it really is the most collaborative generation to hit our workplace ever. You compare that to Gen Z, they are not collaborative at all. They are I am, can I just jump in? I read this in, yeah. in the research and I could not believe it that Gen Z not liking the open office concept. What's up with that? Yeah. Eight per, it's funny, only 8% of Gen Z likes an open office concept. Well, I mean, Gen Z is very competitive, very driven. So Gen Z comes into the workplace and they're like, you know, I don't want to be judged by the whole team. I don't want a bunch of group meetings. Tell me what I need to know. I'm going to go away. Let's hope you go away, and then I'll get my job done. And so I'm concerned is that, you know, Gen Z is so driven, so competitive because of the recession, because of how they were raised by their Gen X parents, that a lot of the collisions will happen with millennials who are so collaborative and team-oriented. So they might be all excited for a team meeting, a group project with a Gen Zer who will sort of not be as into it. Now we run the risk of accusing Gen Zers of not being team players, not being loyal, not even being respectful. It's just not true. But some of our costliest collisions will be between these collaborative millennials and very independent and competitive Gen Zers. So, David, one of the other concerns that I've had as a college president is that I found the millennials to be the most socially conscious generation ever in terms of, and they bring that to the workforce. They care about, uh, about the environment, about CSR. They care about making the world better, too. And I don't get the feeling that, the, that Gen Z is that focused because they're so personally career-oriented and, and workplace-focused. You're tapping, you're right, you're spot on. So when I wrote my book on millennials back in 2007, the number one thing millennials wanted from a job was meaning. And we used to say meaning is the new money. And companies really had to talk to a millennial that if you're going to come work here, here's how you're moving the needle on something. Here's how you're making a difference. All those socially conscious things. Because millennials are like, mm. if I'm going to go work eight hours, I got to be making a big difference somewhere. They also had boomer parents right. who were burnt out. And the boomer <laughs> parents said to their kids, they said, look, if you're going to work as hard as I've worked, you better make sure you do something you really care about. Great message, but then millennials showed up and we jokingly right. say they want to be Gandhi from day one. And it was just like, <laughs> so, 
<laughs> That's going out on Twitter. That's going out on Twitter. Really, yeah, so companies really had to figure out, right. you know, change their value proposition to how you're making a difference. Do, so now let's flash forward to today, Gen wait, Z. Gen, I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, we're running out of time, and I want, Gloria, you know, you've been listening to this. Just wrap it up for us in 20 seconds. You know, I, I think this is, this last conversation is just, you know, exhibit A of why a hybrid education just has to, uh, has to be the, the new mode of the day. And I hope other colleges are listening because it's time to have, you know, applied application internships, right. got to combine technical skill sets with lifelong learning. It's all part of the package, and right. we deserve, Gen Z deserves this. Gloria Larson, Bentley University President, and our thanks to David Stillman, also co-author of Gen Z at Work. You are listening to Bloomberg Radio.